Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, as we are in a a season of Advent, of um, waiting to celebrate your coming, um, God, help us to remember the beauty of how, how light broke into darkness, how you stepped into your creation to pursue um, your children, to pursue us and call us your own. So God, as we look today at the depths of what it means that Jesus is everlasting Father, we ask that that would grab hold of us in a way that would lead us to deeper worship this week. Um, God, that you would do something in our hearts this morning that would be transformative. God, so we ask that you would just meet us in this space right now, that you would do a work in us that would help us to look to you, uh, not only in longing and anticipation, but in joy and in worship. We ask your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, names, um, whether we like it or not, carry meaning. Um, I, th- I think about if, uh, if uh, there's a single lady who wants to be married, chances are they, they've thought through some last names that just won't work. Uh, for instance, let's say that your name's Eileen, and you're just a, a diehard Democrat, and you meet a guy with the last name W-R-I-G-H-T. Um, you're like, I don't know, Eileen Wright. That, that sounds like I'd be a walking contradiction. I don't know if I can marry this man. Um, or if you're, if, you're, if you're a parent and you're about to have your, your kids, when you start throwing out names, chances are you will figure something out about your spouse that you didn't know. It's like, like what about Gage? It's like, we're not naming our kid Gage. It's like, I don't know who Gage is or what Gage did to you, but do we need to talk about this, right? Like, it's like names, Carrie. Wait, I think about my wife, Lucy. Um, her maiden name was Annie Lucille Harris. And so she's gone her whole life being Lucy, which is a nickname of her middle name. So we swore not to do that to our kids. You will not be named a nickname from your middle name. Um, but when we get married, the question was, was well, what name gives? It's like, you know, you can't drop the middle name because if you're, if you're Annie Harris Martin and there's no Lucille, then why do we call you Lucy? And it's way harder to drop a first than a middle. And so we didn't want to drop the first. You're like, well, why not just drop the last? That seems so easy. But for her, that name Harris carried so much weight in her hometown. I mean, she grew up her whole life knowing that her last name meant something and something good and it carried a reputation and expectations and and like it, it was it was powerful in that town to, to be able to say you are a Harris and so she went with four names Annie Lucille Harris Martin which seems okay but when you try to apply for a loan or get a bank account a lot of times there's not four blanks and it's like why do we care about names well names carry weight and that's especially true of Jesus and so this advent we've been looking at four names given to Jesus by the prophet Isaiah because they speak into his character. They speak into what Jesus is like. And so we just want to go into greater depths of of what those names mean. So in Isaiah 9, um, last week went verse by verse through the first seven verses and really unpacked it. But in verse 9, we read this. It says for to, or verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6, he says, for to us a child is born, To us, a son is given, 
and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All right, so real quick, we talked about this last week, but there's a lot of context happening here historically. Israel's being led by this king named Ahaz, and he's leading a real nation, a real people, the nation of Israel. There's this rising power, Assyria, and they're about to conquer them. And in this kind of tension, Isaiah the prophet shows up and tells him that there will be salvation. It's gonna come in the form of a child. And and so in 714, it talks about Emmanuel, this child that will be born. And now in chapter nine, He's beginning to unpack a little bit more about who this child is and how this child's going to be able to save them. And we talked about two questions this leads to. The first question is like, how is a child or how is a kid going to be able to save the nation of Israel from the power of Assyria? And two, if like we read historically back into this, if Jesus doesn't come for another 700 years, then why would Isaiah give a future solution to a present problem. Like, why would he tell Isaiah, who had real problems, present problems about this future solution? That seems kind of cruel or it doesn't really make sense. And so what we what we talked about is, you know, if you're in a plane and it goes down in the ocean and somehow it survives and the flight attendant pulls out a box that says, you know, like life raft, and all of a sudden that thing unfolds and inflates, as a box, you don't understand how this thing can save you. But as it unfolds and as it inflates, all of a sudden you can make sense of it. And so we think about how can a child save them? Well, these four names are like that raft unfolding and inflating. With each name, it helps us to understand a little bit more about how Jesus is going to be our salvation. And then to the question of why would God give a future solution to a present problem, we looked at how whether you're in the Old Testament and you're looking forward in anticipation to the Savior who would come, or if you're in the New Testament or today, and you're looking back in fulfillment to the Savior who came, Jesus is our ultimate hope, right? So so you're caught up. You're caught up from last week. And so um, for the last two weeks before this, we talked about how Jesus is wonderful counselor. What does that mean? It means that he is God come to us in the flesh, to speak to us, to lead us, and to make us his own. And then we talked about Jesus being mighty God. And so if Christmas marks God's declaration of war on all that's broken in the world and in our hearts, we see that Jesus, as wonderful counselor, has a plan to fix it. And as mighty God, he has the power to see it through, or he has the power to accomplish what he said. What does it mean that Jesus is everlasting father? Well, something uh, I enjoy about fatherhood is that my kids think I'm better than I am, and they think I can fix anything. You know, Bentley, our youngest, will walk up with a headless Barbie, like, and I'm like, I can do this. Like, put it back on, fixed it. You know, like, she's like, you're amazing, miracle worker, way maker, like, like, you know, and so, but Whit, my son, he's, he's fallen in love with monster trucks. We took him to Monster Jam at Bristol, and it's like, he's been hooked ever since. So his favorite toys are like Max D and Grave Digger and Monster Mutt. And so he's got like, they're a little bit, they're bigger than your normal little matchbox cars. And so he'll get on the kitchen table and he'll just send them. Like he'll throw them and they're like, they're like hitting tile. And I'm telling him, you're going to break it. 
And he looks at me with no worry whatsoever. He's like, I don't, like, sends it off the table, it hits, and I'm thinking, this is going to go badly. He's going to break his favorite toy. But for him, he doesn't care because he believes I can fix it. Right. Well, it wasn't so long ago that he sent monster mud on a you know on a table jump and it went off and broke the frame, and now I'm looking at this thing and he's just like, here, Dad, like put the head back on, and um and I'm like, I can't fix this, and you know I saw an as seen on TV commercial where you could like bind plastic back together and take that like it's like a light that you use for a dentist tooth I don't know and you put it to, and it heals it I don't have that so I don't have the skill set or the tools necessary to fix Monster Mutt. So now Monster Mutt has no front end, right? Now, here's the problem. It's like, did I have the desire to fix the toy for him? Absolutely. I would love to fix his toys. But did I have the ability? Not at all. Well, here's what we see. Like when, when Jesus steps into the brokenness of the world, he has a plan to fix it. He has the power or the ability to fix it. But as everlasting father, he also has the passion and the desire to fix it. You see, he has the desire to step into our brokenness and to make right what is wrong because he's a good dad, right? Now, like a raft unfolding and inflating, this name just keeps unfolding. This name just keeps getting bigger. So I want to talk more about what it means that Jesus is everlasting father. All right, so the question that comes um, quite often from this text is, Christians believe in the Trinity. Like we believe that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There are three persons, one God, right? Well, if Jesus is God the Son, then how is he everlasting father? Like that, that doesn't make sense. So let's just talk real quick. What does that not mean? And then what does that mean? So the first thing is that does not mean that Jesus is the same person as God the Father, right? When we say he's everlasting father, that does not mean, or is that, that's not a way of us saying that he's the same person as God the Father. If you go back to the third century, there was this movement called modalism. And you're like, I don't know what that means. Don't worry. All right, so modalism was this belief that you had God the Father in the Old Testament, God the Son in the New Testament, and now we have God the Holy Spirit in this era of the church. But there was never three in one. It was just one, one, one in different expressions. And, and so what we see is that's debunked as heresy. Like, you know, one of, the, one of the ways we see this is in Jesus's baptism. When Jesus gets baptized, there's this beautiful moment of all three present at the same time. Jesus, the son, is in the water. God, the father, speaks. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. It's like there's not three different things. It's like these are three in one, all present. And that's just one text of many. But we don't believe that Jesus is the same person as God, the father. So what, what does it mean? If he's everlasting father, but that's different than God the Father, then, then what does that mean? Let's, let's just break it down. The first word, everlasting. All right, let's just think about that. Everlasting. That means that this child, so if you're like, you're like what did it mean to Isaiah? In this context, to the nation of Israel, it would mean that this Savior, this child, this Jesus that would come He's not only a savior that exists in the future or 700 years for them to come, 
but he's a savior that will continue to exist and that has always existed. Everlasting means that Jesus, this child, exists in the future, in the present, and the past. And so why is that important? Well, that means that Jesus was just as much the savior to God's people in the Old Testament as he is to God's people in the New Testament and now. And so for Isaiah to say, look to Jesus, even though they didn't know his name, was still the appropriate thing to do. Jesus is everlasting. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. And then the next word, father, right? Father, when he says this, he's not even thinking about the Godhead. Like he's thinking about characteristics. And so with that being said, he's saying the quality of Jesus's character as he relates to those he came to save. So what does it mean that, that he is father? It's talking about the quality of Jesus's character as Jesus relates to those he came to save. So he is our forever father. For all times, he is the one who displays to us who God is and what God is like. If you got your Bible, let's to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 real quick. I, I want to kind of build this out a little bit. Um, if you're like, I'm not going to do that, just write them down and I'll read the verses to you. But John 10, um, and I'm going to flip over to John 14, but you'll be kind of near each other. John chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 10, starting in verse 27. 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Then jump down to, to verse 37. 37, he, he says this, he says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. And then, then flip over to chapter 14, 14, just a couple of pages over, maybe a few pages if you've got a huge study Bible. Chapter 14, Starting in verse nine, Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know? He's talking to his disciple, Philip. You still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So, so why did I want you to look at those verses, those words from Jesus? Because here's what we see. If you want to know God the Father, if you want to know what God the Father is like, look to Jesus because he is the perfect image and the exact representation, right? So it's like Jesus is our way of understanding tangibly what God the Father is like. He's, he's the perfect representation. He's the exact imprint, the exact image for us to look to. So it's like, what is God the Father like? We'd say, look to Jesus. He shows us those characteristics, those fatherly traits, right? So, so why is it important to know Jesus as everlasting Father? 
Right, let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Why is it important to know Jesus as everlasting father? Well, the way we view our earthly father has an influence on the way we view our heavenly father. Right, this is why we need to understand the, the significance and the depths of everlasting father because the way we view our earthly fathers has an influence on the way we view our heavenly fathers. Right, so for instance, like when some people hear the word father, Right? When you hear the word father, some, some thoughts, some, some adjectives, some things start coming to mind. Some people think of love and presence and guidance. It's like all these like, yes, I think of my dad and it's good. But it's becoming more and more common for other people to hear that word and to think something completely different. For people to hear the word father and to think distant, unapproachable, passive, unreliable, selfish, and even things like uncaring and cruel. I, I was listening to a sermon recently on father wounds, um, not intentionally. I was like, I do. Like, but, but I was listening to a sermon on father wounds, and, and it turned out to be really appropriate for this message. And, and the person gave five different types of dads. And so the, the first type of dad was labeled the tragic no dad. And so the, the tragic no dad, he said, this is the, the dad that you lose from something tragic, whether it's, it's cancer or an accident, or maybe they're a soldier or something happens, right, where you lose them. And it wasn't because they didn't love you. It wasn't because they didn't deeply care for you, but something happened that pulled them out of your life. And so there's the, the tragic no dad. But then you also have what was labeled the terrible dad. And so the terrible dad is the dad that pulls away and abandons the family for selfish desires. It's like, you know what? I'm going to go pursue what I want. I'm going to go pursue my dreams. I'm going to go do what I think is best for me. And they just kind of leave their family and their kids behind. So there's this terrible dad. And, and sadly, that's the case for more people than I would, than I think that we would like to know, right? Like the, the terrible dad who's abandoned the family. All right, then on top of that, you, you have what would be like the, um, the tough dad. And I think this is common as well. The tough dad is the overbearing dad, the dad that, that pushes you hard because they want you to be a better version of who they wanted to be when they were your age. And so they're just always riding you. They're always disciplining you. They're always just hovering over you and pulling you. And like, they're like, you're like, oh, like, like, and that's the way you see your dad is like, geez, this is the tough dad, the tough love dad. And then you have the tender dad, right? The tender dad is, is the one that, that everyone likes, but not a lot of people respect, right? This is the dad that really cares more about being your buddy than raising you up to being a contributing member of society, Right? They don't want to punish you or discipline you because there's this fear of, well, what if they, what if they don't like me? And so this dad's always there. He's always kind. There, there's a tenderness there, but there's just a, a passivity to discipline and to guidance because of that. And so a lot of people's like, you know, that's kind of my dad, my best friend, but really didn't do much for me. And then you have the terrific dad. And so the terrific dad, you would say that's the dad that's not perfect, but pretty close, Right? Uh, it's pretty cool. Like, that's the dad. Like, you know, like, my dad did the best he could, and he tried to love me. He tried to guide me. And at the end of the day, when I think of my dad, I, I have pretty good feelings. Like, there's a warmth there, right? But chances are, like, you have a dad that falls into one of those categories, 
Maybe there's the tragedy. Maybe there's the, the terribleness. Maybe there's like the toughness or the tenderness or maybe your dad was terrific. And like, but the, the truth is, is in this room, like there are people all across the board. So why, why do we talk about these different types of dads? Right, because here's what's happened. Here's what happens. We take who our dads are or who our dads were and to varying degrees, we project that on God. Right? So we take who our dads are or who our dads were, and to varying degrees, we project that on how we view God as father. Right? So some examples of that. If you have a dad who was physically absent, right? if your dad was physically absent, you might find yourself feeling that God's not real or that if God is real, he's, he's distant and doesn't care about you, that he has other things that might be better to do than to care about your life, right? Or maybe your dad was, a, well, he was present, but he was emotionally absent, right? You never heard your dad say things like, I'm proud of you. You never heard your dad say things like, I love you. And if that's you, you might feel like God is someone that you can never fully please or that he's someone that never fully offers you acceptance. And that causes you to approach God with this mentality of like, am I doing enough? You never feel like you're doing enough to really have God's love, right? And so maybe you had a dad who was the tough dad. And so when you think of God, you think about this cosmic bully who just has all of these rules and he wants you to fail at the rules so that he can swoop down and punish you and make your life hard. You know, another type of dad is like the ticking time bond dad, the dad that just flies off the rocker really quick, psychologist, would show that a lot of people respond to the ticking time bomb dad by becoming control freaks in life because they know that when things went wrong, dad lost it. So it's ingrained in them to try to control situations to keep it from going wrong. So they live their lives trying to control everything. So maybe you view God as someone that you can't depend on because you feel like you're the one who has to control everything, right? Or another way, maybe you have the tender dad and so for the tender dad, you know like that he just really wants you to like him. And so you, know, you have no respect for God's word. Like, well, I know God said that, but I don't think it really matters because God just wants me to like him, so I'm gonna do whatever I want, right? So what happens is like to varying degrees, you, you read into God the Father as a result of who your earthly father was, All right? So what do we do with this? We have to be careful not to view God as a projection of our fathers. I'm going to say that again. We have to be careful not to view God as a projection of our fathers because they are only able to reflect his fatherliness. They can never fulfill it. Okay? We have to be careful not to view God as a projection of our fathers because they are only able to reflect his fatherliness. They can never fulfill it. Now, we've taught all of our kids to ride their bikes. Um, some people are like, how'd you do that? Like the balance bike. It's a miracle worker, right? Like they balance, like so all of our kids, we put them on the little red balance bike and it's called like a Kazam or something. But every kid has, has gone down the hill, learned to balance and then gone on to learn to pedal. All right, now the purpose of the balance bike is not to be the real thing. Like you, you can't take a balance bike and have the full experience of a true bike, right? But it can prepare you for the real thing. So the purpose of the balance bike is to prepare kids to, to more quickly 
experience and enjoy the real thing. All right, so let me just let me just speak to the men in the room for a second. But I think this like women, like this is for you to listen in on too. But men, right, whether you are, whether you have been, or whether you will be, your role is you're kind of like a balance bike. Your job as a dad is to prepare your kids to more quickly experience and enjoy the real thing of God, the Heavenly Father. All right, and so there are things that you can do to help your kids out. There are things that you can do as a dad. And like, I'm speaking from a position of like, I'm trying. <laughs> like, I'm not doing this. If you're like, Jeff's doing this, great. Like, if, if you are a wife and you hear that and you're like, Jeff's doing this, like, I'm not. Like, all right, but here's some things that I'm working on that can go a long way to help your kids more quickly experience and enjoy God, their heavenly father. The first thing is say, I'm proud of you. If you are a dad, like just the, those words, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for fill in the blank. That goes so far for a kid to understand God's acceptance. So if you want your kids to embrace that they are fully known and fully accepted, a way that you can help them is just simply find opportunities to tell them how proud you are of them. Another thing you can do, I love you no matter what. If you tell your kids and they believe that you love them no matter what, that there's nothing they've done, there's nothing they're doing, there's nothing they could do that will ever change your affections towards them, that you love them no matter what, that will set your kids up to understand God's grace, to understand God's love for them. Another thing that you can do, right? Another thing, just discipline, right? When you properly discipline out of love, you're helping your kids in the future to understand that when life goes wrong, it's not God punishing them, it's God shaping them out of love so that they can be more like Jesus. And then here, here's one thing that I think is so important. This is where I'm, I'm doing my best to work at this, okay? Um, you have work, you have friends, and you have your family, right? And there's other places, but, but here's the deal. Like with work, with friends, with family, there will always be... Um, felt needs that go unmet. Right? That's just the reality of life. There will always be felt needs that go unmet. Strive to make sure that that's not the case for your family. Don't meet felt needs at work and with your friends at the expense of leaving unfelt uh, felt needs left at home. Like something as simple as, as taking the phone and just sitting in another room while you're with your family until they go to bed, like your presence goes so far in your kids understanding God's forever presence. For them to believe that God will never leave them or forsake them. Like you can be present in a way that sets your kids up to more quickly understand the truths of God. Like, and we can just keep going down this list, right? And so if, if you're like me, you're probably hearing that and going, Okay, I, I'm, I'm messing this up. I will mess this up, or I have messed this up, right? Or maybe you're sitting there going, I never had any of that from my dad. And my view of God is all jacked up. Like, what, what, what do we do? The good news is that Jesus is our everlasting father. The good news is that Jesus is our everlasting father, 
the way that he loves us and cares for us is more than a partial reflection of God's character. It's the true fulfillment of everything we long for. It's the fulfillment of presence. It's the fulfillment of acceptance and grace and guidance, identity, purpose. And we could just keep working. Like I think about the, it's like, okay, like, will God ever accept me? Do I have to do more for him to love me? It's like Jesus steps in and stands in our place. I mean, Colossians 5.21 says, for he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, what happened is Jesus steps in and he says, I have a perfect life. You have a sinful life. And I'm going to exchange those. I'm going to take all of your sin upon myself and take it to the cross, and I'm going to wipe your slate clean, and I'm going to fill your account fully with my righteousness. What that means is is Colossians 3.3 says that your life is now hidden in Christ, which means that when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner or someone who is a failure or someone who has fallen short of his glory. He looks at you and sees a saint, someone who stands perfect like Jesus before him. And so you believe that, when you believe that, you realize that Jesus, because of what he did, not because of what you can do, is the way for you to experience the full acceptance of God, and nothing can ever change that, right? Like, we think about, like, okay, like, is God there? I feel so alone. I feel so, like, by myself, and it's, okay, Isaiah 7, 14, Matthew 1, 23, it's like Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's like Jesus steps in to be with us and to make a way to repair that relationship between us and God that we can be not only presently in God's presence but forever in God's presence. God will never leave us. right? Like All of a sudden we start to look to Jesus and we say, okay, the things I'm longing for, Jesus provides So when we look to him as everlasting father, we're saying, look, I I want my dad to be the best projection as possible. But wherever he falls short, I don't hold that on God. I look to Jesus and I measure God's fatherliness to Jesus's life, not my dad's life. Right? That doesn't downplay the dad's role, but it says we've got a better example in Jesus. So let's look to him. So as Christians, we remember that Jesus came down into a broken world with a plan, with the power, and a passion to fill our hearts with heaven's love. Christmas is a reminder that Jesus came as everlasting Father to make us sons and daughters of our heavenly Father. And that's an incredible gift that's offered to us. Let's remember that this Christmas. God, thank you so much for your word. God, for God for dads like me who feel like we've just dropped the ball. God, remind us of your grace. Remind us of how you love us and help us to look to you and to make progress in being a better example for our kids to more quickly experience and enjoy who you are. God, for those who have father wounds, God, I ask that you would bring healing. God, relational healing, that conversations would happen if possible. God, there'd also be spiritual healing. 
that they would find fulfillment through Jesus as everlasting Father in a way that they would feel complete. God, for us this Christmas, as we experience darkness and brokenness, God, give us a, a greater confidence in who Jesus is and how he saves, that he has a plan to redeem and restore all of this, that he has the power to see it through, and that he's at work, not because he has to, but because he wants to, because he deeply loves us as our everlasting father. And God, let this lead us to worship you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.